This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, we're looking this morning at verses 10 through 12. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 10. Hear the word of God. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its reliability, for its faithfulness, for its truth. Lord, we thank you that we can stake not only our lives here on it, but our eternal well-being. Father, we pray that you would minister to us from your word, for we ask in Christ's name, amen. Have you ever owned something that you just took for granted, really didn't give it a second thought, only later to discover that it was actually of great value, or uh, that others who discovered you had it were impressed, were amazed? Well, it's this, of course, that uh, makes up that TV program, The Antiques Roadshow, you know, a woman has a clock that she got from her grandmother who had purchased it at a yard sale for a few dollars. And she takes it on the Antiques Roadshow only to discover that it's hundreds of years old. It is made by, it was made by the finest clockmaker in Switzerland. It's in the best condition of any example that the appraiser has ever seen. Hotly collectible and would go at auction for somewhere between seven and eight hundred thousand dollars, maybe nine on a good day. You think, boy, wish I had had that clock, right? I should have so much junk. Well, you do. You know, the good news is that you do have something of great value. Uh, namely, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are those who would consider that be of no worth at all. Just junk, really. And there are those who would consider it to have some value. After all, little religion does help us to live right. And there are those who would give lip service to its value, but really just sort of take it for granted. And then there are those who realize what they have and are staggered by the treasure that is theirs in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, here, Peter talks about the gospel in a way that helps us to appreciate its true value. And he talks here about it in such a way as to help us appreciate the privileged position in which we stand. After all, this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 13, uh, the passage we read earlier, specifically verses 16 and 17. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and didn't see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So by Jesus' own testimony, we Christians are a blessed people to be able to possess the gospel, and more importantly, to experience the saving power of God in the gospel. And as Peter goes on to mention here, to live in a time when we experience the gospel in the clarity uh, in which we do. So he mentions here specifically four thoughts that impress on us a privileged position and possession that is ours. And so let's uh, spend the rest of our time thinking about these thoughts that, that Peter shares here in verses 10 through 12. First of all, we possess what the prophets foretold, what the prophets prophesied about, the things that they predicted. You see this in verse 10. Peter says, concerning this salvation, what salvation? Well, the one he just referred to in verse 9 a uh, passage we looked at last week, where uh, while we have the promise of this great inheritance, we live in this world, a world of suffering, a world of tears, uh, and yet that is tempered by the joy that we have in Christ, a joy he can even describe as inexpressible and full of glory. And then in verse 9 he says, because we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of your souls. Now concerning this salvation, that we have in this world, that brings us this joy. He says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They foretold, as he says in verse 10, the grace that was to be yours. They talked about, they predicted, they prophesied what you and I now have and what uh, New Testament believers had, but we are part of that. Uh, our names don't occur in the New Testament, but uh, you and I are part of the ongoing story that began in the book of Acts. Uh, we just come along considerably later than, than say, Cornelius, the uh, Gentile, and those we read about there. One specific instance, there are a lot we can look at, but one I want to refer to is one we thought about recently, just uh, last month, in fact, and that's in Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, specifically verses 33 through 34. And the Lord says, I'll make a new covenant. And this is what he says about it. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, you know, not, not on tablets of stone, but in our hearts, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. They shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, that's just one example. Jeremiah describing the grace that would be ours. Who live in the new covenant. Who have the law of God written on our hearts. Who have the presence of God dwelling within us, each one of us, in the Holy Spirit. 
and the forgiveness of sins, not in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, but as a realization of the Messiah having come and lived and died and been raised to life. In other words, the Messiah uh, in the past, not anticipated in the future. So Peter is saying here that part of the, the, the value of the gospel is we possess what was only prophesied in the Old Testament, what was only foretold, and specifically he mentions that they foretold the sufferings of Christ. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, again, a lot of references we could look at. Psalm 22 would be a, a particularly startling one for the, uh, the detail in which it describes the crucifixion of Christ. If you're not familiar with it, I'd uh, encourage you to, to maybe take time this afternoon to read it. Uh, but perhaps the, the classical passage that we think of uh, when we think of the sufferings of Christ is Isaiah 53, right? Uh, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. And then again in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just, again, startling detail. Um, even you could say New Covenant insight into God's plan of a substitute redeemer for his people who would stand and suffer and die in their place, uh, almost with the clarity with which Paul himself writes of the meaning of Christ's death as a suffering substitute in the place of his people. And so Peter says one, one reason that we should uh, value the gospel highly is because we possess the reality of something that was prophesied far in advance of these facts actually taking place. Now, we want to be careful not to mistakenly think that there was no grace in the Old Testament. Obviously, there was. Uh, they were saved by the grace of God just as we are. But they lived in, in, a, in a time of preparation. They lived in a time where they did not see uh, all of the details that you and I know. Uh, yes, God's grace was active there, but they were prophesying the, the, the full measure of it, the, the unveiling of it in a way that, that we do that they did not. So first thing, we possess in the gospel what the prophets foretold. Second uh, thought that Peter has here that uh, should further encourage us to value what we have, and that is that what we possess fascinated the prophets. Now look again at verse 10, verse 11. Notice what he says. These prophets who prophesied this grace that was to be ours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings and the glories of, of Christ. Notice that the repetition there. They searched. They inquired carefully. They inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating. Another way to translate that could be what, what time or what circumstances 
would be those in which the Messiah would come and, of all things, suffer. Now, notice, you know, we recently studied Matthew and how slow uh, and, 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 and how lacking in understanding the Jews were that the Messiah would suffer. Even Jesus' own disciples, after having been with him, recoiled from the idea that the Messiah should suffer. And yet notice, Peter says that the prophets prophesied the suffering of Christ as well as his glory. And so that may have been a hard thought even for them. So they're inquiring. They're trying to figure it out. Even as God reveals this to them in in shadows and in outline, they're trying to figure out who is he talking about? Or maybe even when will this happen? Or what are the circumstances it could be that the Messiah would, would suffer? This, this puzzled them, it baffled them, it intrigued them, it fascinated them. And they were not content just to prophesy it, but they were trying to comprehend it. Now we read earlier from the book of Daniel, and uh, this, is a, this is an example of that. Again, there are others, but uh, as you read through Daniel, especially the second half of the book, and uh, these, these things about the future, uh, near future and distant future, are revealed to Daniel. It bothers him, it troubles him, and some of it is just the interaction with the divine that is so overwhelming to him, but part of it is trying to get his mind around these symbols and these these strange images by which God was revealing to him the future, and it just it, it, it gave him a brain cramp. He couldn't figure it out, and we, and we see that in uh, Daniel 12, verse 8, where Daniel says, I heard, but I didn't understand And I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And the Lord said, it's not for you to know, Daniel. It is sufficient for me to reveal these things through you. And you want to know how this is all going to play out. That's not for you to know. That's not for your time. That's not for the era in which you live to know the full revelation of what I reveal to you only in shadows. And so. They wanted to know these things. Inquiring minds want to know. They're trying to figure it out. And God says, no, that's for another day, but not for your day to know. And so the Lord says, no. And that occurs in other places. The prophets would, would try to figure these things out. Which raises the thought, by the way, that while we do have so much more revealed to us, so much more that we know now, are we like those prophets? Are we diligently searching these things out? Are we inquiring carefully after these things that we know and that we profess to believe? In other words, are we in the Scriptures to understand these things better? Are we content just to hear a few facts and say, well, that's, that's interesting, I, I believe that? Or are we, uh, like the Bereans, searching the Scriptures in God's Word? Do we have the same spirit of inquiry and interest that the prophets had? But that's another reason that, that Peter mentions here the value of the gospel. What we have and what we experience and know is not just what they prophesy, but what they themselves were, were fascinated by and intrigued by and probably frustrated by, too, because they couldn't know kinds of things that you and I do know. We have so much more light than they have. What a, what a privilege. What a treasure. Well, the third thought that Peter shares here is that we possess that in which the prophets served us. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you. 
Now, it, it, it is true that the prophets did serve their own day. I uh, think we've been studying Jeremiah. Think of his, uh, his words that really did apply to his own day. Uh, even prophecies, for example, uh, in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 7, the, the prophecy of the virgin birth. Virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Call his name Emmanuel. We think Jesus. But even that had something to say first to his own time. And then a greater fulfillment of it, of course, was, was the birth of Christ. It's not that the prophets didn't speak to their own day. They did. But the fullness, the depth of what they prophesied is ultimately for us. And they were serving us in the things that they have, the things that are announced to us. Well, how is that so? We want to look at this and just kind of think, well, how were they serving us? How, how did the prophecies of the Old Testament serve us or assist us? Well, let me give you, give you some thoughts here. First, the same message. Same message from the Old Testament prophets that we heard from the apostles, or in our case, have written down uh, for us by the apostles and those who were under their authority and, and, and leadership. Uh, the same message, there's continuity here. Uh, look at what he says. In, uh, in, 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 in verse 10, prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And then again in verse 11, uh, they served you in the things that have now been announced to you, who through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The message of the prophets was the, the message of the apostles. There's continuity there uh, from one to the other. You don't find one message in the Old Testament and then a radical departure from that, a new message in the new. And so the Old Testament prophets serve us in that they show that the, that the work of salvation is not some new thing, but has its roots going back into the old. It's got a pedigree. It goes back a long ways. It was prophesied and then fulfilled as prophesied, which helps to, to convince us. So it's not just the same message and the continuity. Second way that they served us is that they were working by the same spirit. There's authority, the same authority. Look, this is striking. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. You see, their message in the test of a prophet was that his message was God-sent and, and fulfilled, was true, was validated by its fulfillment. The messages they had were given by the Spirit of Christ about Christ. These men, as Peter uh, in another place states, we're not, we're not making these things up. They, were, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who spoke through the apostles. Verse 12 they were serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the same uh, this, here, the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, referred to as the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So there's the same authority. Um, I know why, well, I don't know why they always make the words of Christ in red as if they're somehow more important than the other words of Scripture, uh, whether Old Testament or New Testament, they are the words of Christ. Whether spoken by the Lord Jesus himself, spoken by his prophets in the Old Testament, by his Spirit, or spoken by his apostles in the New Testament, by his Spirit. 
Sometimes it actually is kind of convenient for the visual image of finding things. You learn where they are. This is in red. This is not. Uh, but it's all God's word. It's all Christ's word. Uh, the Spirit of Christ spoke through the prophets. The Holy Spirit speaks through the apostles. It's all the message of Jesus. And then also, they, they serve us in the fulfillment over the centuries. And this is the certainty. So we see here the continuity. We see the authority. We see the certainty of, of prophecies fulfilled. And again, the, the connection that is there. They served us in these ways. Uh, they served us by the same message of grace, the same Holy Spirit, uh, and it, it, the prophecies being one end of, of a work of God that is fulfilled when those things come to pass in the New Testament. And so we should value the gospel uh, because we have that which, with which the prophets served us. They, they, they were the sub-foundation, so to speak, for the foundation of the, 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 the word, the mystery of Christ through his apostles. You know, if, if they are the foundation uh, of the, the New Jerusalem, then the, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament were that sub-foundation and service in that way. And then the fourth, fourth thing that he mentions here, which sort of ends the whole passage on a rather interesting note, very interesting note, you and I possess that which intrigues even the angels. Not just the prophets in the Old Testament, but the angels themselves are fascinated as he says at the end of our passage here, in verse 12, things into which angels long to look. Angels have a lot. You know, angels serve in the presence of God. Angels are sent out by the bidding of God, as Hebrews says, to serve those who will inherit salvation. You think angels have it all. Why? Would they be interested in me? Why would they be interested in the gospel? Why would they be interested in these things? Well, they do have a great deal. But there's one thing you and I have that angels don't have. They never had the God whom they so faithfully serve give his own son to die for them. The plan of redemption does not apply to angels. Angels fell, became demons. Angels did not fall because they were faithful to and obeyed God. But there's not an angel who is redeemed by the blood of the Son of God. And that absolutely intrigues them. That you and I are recipients of that grace, that action of God. You know, they serve God, but they're fascinated to see God serve us. It's interesting the language Peter uses here, things into which angels long to look. The word has the idea of stooping or bending. Uh, we might even say craning the neck, trying to get a better look. It's the same word that was used in, in John 20 with the resurrection of Jesus. And the, 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 the women say he's, he's risen. He's not here. And uh, Peter and John run to the grave, and it says they stooped and looked in. It's the same word. It's a word that has the idea of looking intently. It's the same word that James uses in James chapter 1, verse 25, when it says, you know, looking into the law of God like, looking, like one looking into a mirror to see what he looks like, looking intently, looking carefully. That's the, that's the language that Peter uses here. Uh, 
that angels are fascinated by that, that they're intrigued, and they look into this to see that God would do this for, for rebellious human beings. Angels long to look into that, to, to understand it better. Know what would cause the Father to send His Son to redeem sinful people. So yes, they're fascinated. And if anything here doesn't move you, that should be striking to you that you and I possess that which fascinates the angels of heaven. My grandfather loved electronics. They, they weren't his vocation. They were his avocation, his, his hobby. And he was very good with them. Uh, never had the chance to go to college, but if he did, I suspect he would have made a fine electrical engineer uh, back in the day of um, vacuum tubes, he could dismantle and reassemble, repair uh, television sets, radios, all of that. He had a shop in the back of their garage that uh, it used to fascinate me to go into and see all the parts and different kind of instruments and things he had in that shop. He understood diodes and capacitors uh, and amps and, and volts and tried to explain all of that to me, but I'm afraid he had about as much success as my grandmother did, who tried to teach me to crochet. Uh, I'm afraid they were just words to me. Now, he died in 1987 after a uh, lengthy illness, suffering the effects of a stroke uh, in the late 70s. And so he never lived to see the day of the personal computer. Now, of course, he knew of computers. They were around, but much different from what you and I know, uh, the personal computer that arose in, in the 1980s. So he didn't participate in that. Uh, and I remember my father commenting once to me when he said, you know, that's too bad, because he really would have loved computers. Well, the prophets knew something big was coming, uh, the Lord was revealing it to them. They did know something of God's grace. Even Abraham, way back, believed the promise of God, and God credited that to him as, as righteousness. But they didn't know the fullness of it. They didn't live to see the day when Mary gave birth to a little baby boy. They didn't live to see the day when the Messiah began his work and his ministry. You know, it's too bad. Because with the obvious fascination they had for it, they would have absolutely loved the new covenant. The work of a Messiah, a known quantity to them. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Hundreds, thousands, millions who have the law of God written on their heart and love and serve and follow the Lord because they want to. Try to honor God with their lives. You see, they would have loved it, but they didn't live to see it in that era. They didn't live in the era of the new covenant, that to which they pointed. You do. You and I have a possession in the gospel and a privilege in where we stand in God's redemptive work that is priceless. Never lose sight of that. Never let yourself begin to take that for granted. You have in Christ that which the prophets studied, inquired after, into which angels long to look. Fascinated by angels? Angels are fascinated by you. 
The angels are impressed with what you have in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, may we never take the gospel for granted. May it never become old hat. But Lord, may we be perpetually and daily amazed at what you have done for us and the light in which we see it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.